Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And welcome to the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 227. My guest on this episode is Andrew Kozan. Most recently, the Auburn alum secured his Corn Ferry Tour card for 2022 in his first appearance as a professional. Now, as many of you know, one of the biggest challenges for new professionals is finding a place to play. Normally, the first years are spent on mini tours, chasing Monday qualifiers, and participating in state opens. Andrew successfully navigated first stage, second stage, and then finals in Savannah, Georgia, with weather conditions that would have been a challenge for even the most seasoned professionals. We spoke about his journey that started right here in South Florida, their early days of junior golf at the Florida State Golf Association, and we also talked about two of the more notable experiences in his amateur career, playing a PGA Tour event at the age of 16 and qualifying for the 2021 U.S. Open in its last start as an amateur. Don't forget, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Every episode is available at thebackoftherange.com. Lots of new episodes coming out between now and the end of the year. So let's get this started. Andrew, welcome to the Back of the Range. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. I have to apologize. This is a podcast that's focused on uh, you know, the amateur game and collegiate players, and I had every intention to have you on this podcast when you're an amateur, but as you and I both know, your schedule of travel this summer and my schedule of travel this summer, um, you went ahead and went and turned pro before I got to you. So that's my fault. That's bad staff work, but I'm assuming now that you're a professional, this means that this is going to be an ultra-polished episode with your vast experience dealing with the media, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what I'm planning on. Okay. All right. So this is just going to be so clean. Now we're going to, we're going to bounce around. It's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. Um, what, um, talk to me a little bit about, um, you know, first of all, congrats on getting through Corn Ferry Tour, Q School Finals. You. You, you got a job next year. That's going to be pretty exciting. I do, yeah. That's going to yeah. be pretty exciting, right? <laughs> yeah, my, my business degree is getting put to work now. <laughs> Everyone at Auburn is very happy to hear that. <laughs> Um, but yeah, the, I, I mean, you don't have the frame of reference that, you know, other professionals with uh, maybe a little more scar tissue on their resumes have, but I'm guessing right about now you're saying to yourself, uh, you gotta be just waking up every morning, just breathing a lot easier knowing that I, I don't have to try and piecemeal together some sort of a schedule with Monday qualifiers and state opens and mini tours. I mean, you, you have something lined up for 2022 I know it's been a, a couple of weeks since you got through the, qual the the qualifying. What have those two weeks been like? Have just trying to decompress what you just did? Yeah, definitely. Um, I know Q, Q school is just the main goal, especially turning pro. So I turned pro right before Q school. So Q school is my first event as a pro. So it was, it was good to kind of get off to the races and pro golf in that sense. But I made the decision to, it, it was tough when I, when I finished college. So it's, you, you grew up your whole life. Okay. I want, I want to be a pro golfer. I want to be a pro golfer. And then through my coaches and whatnot, we made a decision to kind of hold off from turning pro until Q school. So it was super tough in that sense, but uh, yeah, it definitely was, was worth waiting. Well, any other thing which we'll get into, I mean, you, you have your, your career at Auburn, you graduate from Auburn, but it wasn't like a typical situation where, okay, I played my four years. I have no other eligibility. It's time to turn pro when they threw in COVID, um, you know, that, that complicates things a lot too. You know, some players are like, Oh sweet. I got another year. I get to go back to school, but some people actually have to make that decision. I'm like, all right, I, you know, am I ready? Is it time to get it time to go for this? So that actually, I'm guessing complicated things even more. Yeah, it did. I mean, I, I put a little thought into going back to my fifth year, but I mean, I had, I had a decent year, uh, my senior year. So it was, for me, it was kind of a no-brainer, you know, kind of just get out on my own. I feel like, I mean, I was going to get my degree in four years, so that would have been another issue if, if I still had to do school after college or after my eligibility was gone, then that would have probably played some sort of factor in to maybe staying for next year or not. But the fact that I was going to get that done 
it made it made it a lot easier to kind of go move on to the next step. You know, I, I grew up, I always wanted to be a pro golfer, do this for a living. And now this is the first time my whole life where I've pretty much only had golf. You, you know, you grow up, you have, you at school. So it's now I can, okay, I can put my full focus every day specifically to this, which is what, I mean, I, it's what all these golfers look, look up to and look forward to is getting out of school and, and doing it as a full-time job. So I was, I was super excited but yeah, I mean, as I said, I put a little thought into staying for a fifth year. But when I thought about it, it was for my, for my personality. I'm kind of a, I kind of keep to myself, you know, not a huge fan of team sports growing up. Um, so it's it was tough for college trying to embrace the team aspect of it. But then to have the opportunity to kind of get back on my own was for me was a no brainer. What's it been like lately? Just you know, like you said, you don't have school, you don't have studies. It's just, okay, I, this is the one thing I have. This is my job. I, I play golf, but like right now there's, you're just kind of waiting for the corn Ferry tour season to start up. Is it a little bit odd having, I guess that much free time? It is, you know, it's, it, the tough part is, is almost forcing yourself to take time off. Right. So like you can't go hit balls eight hours a day and grind, grind, grind. I mean, you know, what's waiting for you next year where you, you need to kind of put some, you know, leave some gas in the tank right now, but it's still, it's gotta be odd. You're like, okay, I don't have a final. I don't have this. I, I just, I just, I'm just hanging right now. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a lot of fun because you get the more freedom. So you're able to, as you said, I was out on the boat today, just hanging out. Um, so I'm taking the next week, week and a half off was kind of grinding after Q school. I still had to play a bunch of golf, ended up playing the RSM Monday qualifier last week. Didn't make it, but still it's, you're still in that constant grind. So that's what me and my, my coach Jeff Leishman have been talking about is just learning to adapt and learning to make yourself have that forced downtime where it's in, in college. You're so used to whenever you're having free time to go practice. Okay. I actually, I'm, I have a couple hours afternoon free, I got to go to the course because I, I got class tomorrow or right. or in, in some sort of that. So it's it, it's tough to have all the free time and, and not go practice. So, you know, it's it's having the time to force yourself to take a week or two off at a time. Uh, growing up, I was I was never really that type of kid. I always felt like it, a day off was a day that someone else was working yeah. harder than you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's it's but I, but I, now you're but now you're I, I've been learning that off time is just as important as as time to focus and time to grind and time to work on the game so it's it, it's a it's a big change but we're we're used to it now yeah i i'm not i'm not gonna go as far as to compare the the life of a golf podcaster to the life of a professional golfer but there are some days that i i don't get a whole lot accomplished i know people listening are like oh my gosh what what you know how is how is he just slacking off but yeah there's days where you're just like it's okay to kind of veg out. And apparently I'm not sure if you've gotten into this, but um, do you watch anything with F1, uh, the show on Netflix or the, I can't remember the title of it, but apparently. Oh yeah. Yeah. Drive to survive. There you go. I'm a big formula one fan. Okay. All right. So then I have to, so let me ask you, let's, let's get off the golf topic for a little bit. Everyone just kind of, you know, be patient with Andrew and I here. Cause I need to ask you a serious question. I haven't watched any of it and I haven't watched the, the Netflix series. I know very little about F1. Should I just stay away? Because if I do get into it, it'll just like take over part of my life. Should I just stay away from it? Or do you think it's worth getting into a little bit? No, you got to get into a little bit. I thought with, with, with drive to survive, they did a a good, they did a good job at trying to get people attracted to formula one without trying to dive them in too much. Okay. And especially with the, the so the season's dive, diving down now, so they they're off next weekend, and then they have a race the final two weeks, and then they're done for a few months. So the the season's almost over anyway. So it's so it's a good time to kind of get into it, learn a little bit. So you have the last two races, and then you can kind of get out of it a little bit. Okay, because yeah, I'm I'm from hearing from people that if you watch like two episodes, then you're you're hooked, and and then you know that's pretty much what you're going to be watching and binge watching. So I'm I'm. I'm a little hesitant to get into it. So if there was a series like that for some of the guys that you played collegiate and amateur golf with, yeah, as, as we talked about, you just, you know, graduated from, from Auburn. Uh, but everyone in amateur golf is, is everyone knows everyone. So I'm just curious off the top of your head, give me three guys that a, that the Netflix film crew that did uh, drive to drive. What is it? Drive to 
Drive to Survive. Drive to Survive. Give me the, the if we send off that film crew to follow three guys in the amateur amateur circuit. Give me three guys that they have to follow. Oh, that's a that's a tough question. Well, you know, just give me any three. It doesn't need to be the best three, but I'm sure you could pick three. They're like, oh yeah, that that's going to get some ratings. Well, I mean, Carl Billups, maybe he he just got to college, but he always had a big following. There you go, coming up from junior golf. So he he's got a bunch of followers out there. So that'd be a good way to to get it out there. Uh, maybe Davis Thompson. He was a phenomenal college player. There did a lot go. of good pro golf. And hmm, let's go with John Pack. John's got a great personality. A good friend of mine. Um, but he was also one of the best players in college golf the last couple of years. Those are three good ones. So yeah, those are three good ones. <laughs> so uh, we we don't want to get too far down the line without talking about where you got your start. And actually, it's always good to talk to a you're, you are a native Floridian, aren't you? I am born and raised in Palm Beach. Man, man, I'm I'm born and raised right down the street in Broward. And uh, due to some really interesting staff work, we are doing this episode over the phone. And apparently we live about 15 minutes away from each other. So that's, yeah, it's that. that's great work on my part. Um, but you, you grow up, I mean, growing up in South Florida, I mean, a golf club is going to find your, going to find your hands at some point when, uh, you know, talk to me how you got into the game and, and I, you know, talking about the club that you grew up playing at. Yeah, so I was just a, a typical boy growing up, you know, tried to play pretty much as, as many sports as I could. Started playing golf when I was about five. Played consistently between golf and baseball till I was about maybe 11-ish, give or take. And I was actually, it was funny, I was actually better at the time at baseball than I was at golf when I quit baseball. But, you know, I was just sitting there, it was like, I remember we'd have a, we'd have a golf tournament down south, and then we have to drive two hours to a baseball game that afternoon, and it was just constantly going back and forth, and I was just sitting there, and I said, okay, well, I guess in my mind, I'd rather put all my time and effort toward one sport and try and perfect that than keeping my time split between both. Sure. And and at the time, there were so many kids my age that were just playing. They were playing baseball. They were playing golf. They were playing soccer. They were doing all these sports. So I was one of the pretty much the only kids that was only really playing one sport. And I felt like in, in my sense, I had a, a big advantage that way because I'm working double time. I'm working double on one sport yeah. while you guys got your time split up. So I guess that was that was a pretty big decision in, in my career back then. But, yeah, I mean, love baseball a lot. But I was I was always a pretty independent person. Didn't didn't like the whole aspect of team sports very much. I felt like there was there was nothing worse in baseball than you having a good game personally and then your team loses or you have a bad game and the team wins. I felt like those were just really awkward feelings. I never did too well at embracing the whole team environment. So that was a, that was a big stepping stone for me to get into college to fully embrace that and, and really enjoy that the way I did. So what you're kind of saying is you you're you know you're a team guy, but you just want to have full control over the outcome of your success you don't want it depending on anyone else exactly yeah i feel like I, I really thrive on that additional pressure like okay we won okay that's or that's because i did really well and i won pretty much right or you get the scenarios where we lose and it's like okay well i lost that like there's no one i can blame there's no blame game like it was my fault i lost there's no one to blame but yourself now you do understand that that the future Ryder Cup and Presidents Cup team captains are going to be listening to this right now, and you're just you're not. I mean, this is not going to be good for you if you're if you're in need of a pick. And like, hey, I I embrace the team. <laughs> I embrace the team the team environment really good at Auburn. I, I know, man. I know. Um, you, uh, I, I gotta, you know, growing up in South Florida, um, you know, I think you played. You got started a lot uh, younger than I did in in playing uh, amateur golf down here. Uh, but you know you played uh, you know Florida Junior Tour I know between uh, I mean I looked it up actually on on the Florida State Golf Association website I mean just playing tons of events between the ages of like 12 and 15 and I'm looking at all these courses that they were like the little you know two dayers at you know 13 uh, you know like 13 to 15 year age and I mean gosh for for people that live down here that kind of know the know the drill of all these courses you know Vieira East and Santa Lucia I mean these are all like the heavy hitters of of golf courses in Florida and you know Eagle Creek Bear Lakes of course in West Palm Beach 
there's junior golf programs all over the country. There's, uh, you know, state golf associations, obviously, all over the country. But Florida Junior Tour, when you look back at what that set you up to do and that kind of environment, I'm guessing that had to be just a massive, uh, you know, precursor to, to the success that you're finding now. Yeah, absolutely. Florida, the Florida Junior Tour was is such a phenomenal tour. They do such a good job with that. Um, so it's so I grew up playing like Palm Beach County events, South Florida PGA, and I remember FJT. You couldn't play until you were thirteen. They were pretty strict about that at yeah. the time. So you're all you're growing up and like okay, like oh, I want to play an FJT so bad. Yeah. I want to play an FJT so bad. And then to finally get like, your thirteenth birthday, you're like you can't you can't wait to be able to register for one of them. <laughs> It was so. It was the funniest thing, and then so you start you start playing those, and I, I felt like it really helped you compete. You know, it was a lot of two day events for the most part, but it they had so many of them. It felt like every weekend we were traveling somewhere, so you get really used to playing tournament after tournament after tournament, and then you start playing well, and you you get you're always not always, but you you get more comfortable with those pressure situations coming down the stretch because you're having them so often. So you're, you're always being able to compete and always trying to win uh, and then kind of getting used to the whole aspect of playing more often instead of playing a tournament. Oh, I got a tournament now. Okay, now I got three more weeks. All right, now I got another month after that. So it was it was good to kind of get you into the environment and kind of get you on a roll of playing a lot. And then moving between the FJT and the HHGA, because obviously everyone knows HHGA is just the top tier junior golf program for, for, for the whole U.S. Yeah. So I felt like FJT did just such a phenomenal job of getting you ready for the AJGA tour, I would say, because it's always a big stepping stone. You know, you go from from one tour, then you move up, you go to the next tour, and it takes you a little time to get used to it. And then you get used to it, then you play well, you go to the next tour, takes you a little time, then you get used to it, and you start playing well. And I felt like the jump between FJT and AJGA was very minimal. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, you're 100% right. I, I know a lot of juniors and, you know, they, they kind of want to play that AJGA so they can kind of get the AJGA bag tag on their bag. And I'm sure you yep. yeah, I'm sure you had the same thing. You're like, you know, you just want to be, you know, that, that means you kind of made it at that age, that level that that shows that you're a stick. And Absolutely. Yeah. Um, now, I'm sure you'll get this reference with Mighty Ducks, but, you know, Gordon Bombay, Emilio Estevez, that movie where he was like the king of, of, of peewees. And yep. obviously there were times during junior golf that, that you were the king because you were winning tour championship and you were winning different events. But I'm thinking with such a talent-rich uh, uh, environment in FJT and also Palm Beach County, do you remember who was just the beast in junior golf when you were there that always kind of had your number? I remember we were younger. I would say Alberto Martinez. He plays at FSU now, but I remember – felt like every tournament like he kind of came out of nowhere like no one really knew who he was uh-huh. and then all of a sudden it felt like overnight like no one can beat this guy like, uh-huh. and it felt like it was like that for a couple of years almost but i felt like with with fjt's i mean there was just so many phenomenal players you get on those smaller tours and it felt like it was the same person winning over and over and over and then you get on the fjt's and there's a good amount of people that have the ability or the chance to win every week. Yeah. So it, it made it a lot tougher in that sense. And you had, uh, I think Mancino who played at Auburn was right there with you. Yeah. Mancino got on the tour a couple years later too. Yeah. He was another one. Crazy. So crazy. The town. Like I remember when I was playing stuff, uh, at Palm beach County, there was uh Robbie white and, uh, Jude Estacchio and, and, uh, chapel brown like all three of them went to the same high school and then all three went to florida and you're yeah and, and i'm like 30 years old trying to play and i'm like what there's why 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 am i doing this there's no yeah. way yeah good luck <laughs> exactly i'm like why am i even here why don't i just give these guys some money they can go spend it on whatever they want because really i have no chance to win anything like why am i here yeah um, great success in junior golf but i have to ask you know obviously you, you played in this year's u.s open and you know you know, get through the, the sectional qualifier at Bears Club. And, and that's really, you know, it's your first major. And you're obviously, it's it's a dream. As an amateur at that time, you're around, you know, the best in the world and the, the bright lights of, of a USGA event and, and a lot of media coverage. But this was not your first dance. What do you remember about being a 16-year-old playing in a PGA Tour event? Oh, that was phenomenal. 
that I, was unreal. I was looking, that was such a cool experience. When I'm looking at that, I'm like, I have to ask you about that because this is like Jordan Spieth, Byron Nelson's stuff. This is like, oh yeah, yeah, and this is this is really, and I think it may have slipped through the radar just because it's it's maybe one of the lesser known PGA Tour events. But you play in the the 2015 Puerto Rico Open after winning the AJGA Puerto Rico Junior Open. So you get this exemption, and there you are. And, um, you know, I mean, I'll let you just go ahead. I mean, how do you even explain that? And I'll ask you a follow-up after what you say about that. Yeah, I mean, that was just a – the AJGA did a really good job with that event. We were fortunate enough to have the sponsor invitation for the, for the winner of that event. So that was always a big one. So that was one of my first – big ajgas i remember they have they have the whole star system with ajj yeah and that one i remember you had to be fully exempt to get in and that was like the first event i ever played that was that big oh wow so i go down there and you know i want to i want to win but at that stage it was like okay well it's also my first big event so my old coach ross cash did a good job at like hey you like you don't there's there's 80 or 100 guys in the field no matter what, someone's going to get that. You just, you just got to be one. Like one person's going to get it. No matter how you look, no matter what happens, one person's going to end up getting that. So we did a great job of kind of getting myself in the mindset of just trying to stay in the moment, stay present, knowing that you belong. And it was just a, it was a fun week in the AJGA. And we were fortunate enough to made it. I remember I made a big putt on, I made like a 15, 18 footer on the last hole. I thought it was to, to win. If I thought of, I think if I'm I, in my head, I thought if I missed it, I was going into a playoff and then I had to make it to win. And I made it and I was super excited and then found up, found out I won by like two or three or something like that. Okay. But then we get down to the event and it was just awesome. It was a blast. I mean, it was, <laughs> as, a, as a 16 year old, it's a, it's a dream come true. You're, you're like, okay, well I can, I could definitely get used to this. Why uh-huh. am I going to school? <laughs> well, there you go. I mean, you see stuff like that at that age. And, you know, you missed the cut, but actually I think it was seven shot 73-78. So, I mean, really a nice, you know, opening Yeah, start. I was playing well, too. I yeah. mean, I didn't play. I think I had a couple whole stretch in the middle of the second round that kind of took me out of it. But it was just an awesome experience. You know, when you when you get an experience like that, it really increases your motivation. So once you, once you get home from that event, everything changes. Like you're practicing differently. You're taking it more seriously. Your mindset changes. You get into the next tournament and you're like, okay, well, I just played a PJ Tour event yeah. last week. Now I'm now I'm only playing uh, FJT or an HAGA. Okay, this is nothing now. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it increases your your mindset and your perspective on everything. I'm, so I, I thought it was. I mean, it was just it was an unreal week, though. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because you know there's a lot of amateurs that get um, that get exemptions into PGA Tour events, whether it's. Uh, um, you know, like like most recently, Ludwig Aberg by winning the Jones Cup got uh, played in this year's uh, this this past RSM that just took place, and uh, obviously I think the Houston Open has that. And um, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of PGA Tour events that that you know there is an amateur that will be in that field by winning a collegiate event or an amateur event. And you know, truthfully, for the most part, they they'll miss the cut, and people might think, well, you know, what's this amateur doing here? He doesn't have a chance, but it kind of it takes a couple years down the line to realize how important that opportunity is. It, sure, it may not pay dividends in that one specific term, but just like you said, you completely. It sounds to me like your your perspective on your golf and your career and everything around it completely changed in one week. Yeah, and I I feel like going through all these tournaments, you you always have a couple of the year that that really change your mindset, like. If you go to a U.S. Amateur, obviously U.S. Open, but those big Western Amateur stuff yeah. like that, when you get home, even if you don't play well, like your your mindset is going to be differently. I can promise you, if you play in a PJ Tour event, even if you shoot a bunch and miss a cut by a bunch, when you get home the next week, you're going to be working out more. You're going to be taking that more seriously. You're going to be eating better because you want to take it more seriously. You're you're going to be more focused during practice. Every, like you're like that's where people they they miss the cut and they play bad and they're all down on themselves instead of just embracing the fact that okay wow like i just played in a tour event or i just played in this big amateur event like okay I, I i can do this i'm good enough for this let me put more focus and more motivation into certain areas and work on that so i can keep coming back to these positions and keep putting myself in these scenarios 
I love the fact that your coach at the time communicated to you for the for the junior for the for the AJJ junior tournament that you wanted to get into this PGA Tour event. I love the fact that, and especially like you said, it was your first kind of star uh, tournament that that you got into. I love the fact that he was like, "Look, don't just go there just to kind of." be a tourist and and show up and say you got to play in it he communicated that hey you know someone has to win this and it might as mm-hmm. well be you that's such a great lesson for anyone to take away when you get out over your skis a little bit whether it's ajga usam uh you know your first you know uh, invitation whatever you want to call it it's such an important thing to keep in mind that there's a reason you're there and don't just go there just showing up just to say oh well, i got to play in it yeah, exactly. And then I remember he ended up coming back down with me a couple months later for the event. And we, we went into that, the, the, the PJ tour event, the same mindset we had with the, with the, the junior event saying like, okay, well, there's someone's got to win it. Why not us? Mm-hmm. And obviously it's, it's, if you look, if you're an older guy looking down at a 16 year old who says that you're thinking, okay, what, what tells this guy <laughs> thinking 16 year old, he's obviously not going to win the tournament, right. blah, blah, blah. But in the moment, it 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 really focuses your mind. It gets you ready. It gets you in the right mindset. If if I went to that event thinking, oh well, this is just a cool experience. I just want to I just want to enjoy and have fun. Get get some free stuff from Titleist. Yeah, exactly. If you, if you go into that, then you're never going to play well. But if you have the right mindset and still go there to win or, or and compete, then you're you're always going to play better. I think. Well, I, I'm glad we, we delved into that also to bring up some good memories. I'm sure there are guys that played in that tournament that you're going to be seeing down the line, and, and I'm sure that's going to rekindle some memories. I'm sure there's going to be a, a, 40 year, a 40-year-old guy in the PGA Tour that played in that event that's going to look at you and say, man, I remember this snot-nosed kid from Puerto Rico. Look where he is. Yeah, I remember I played with Roger Sloan and Ryan Armour. So <laughs> I remember I think Ryan lives awesome. in this area now. So I, I'll see him every or uh, every so often at, at something down the road, but that's awesome. I don't know if he'll even remember me. He'll just remember as the some twerp he was paired with at the Puerto Rico. He got the he got the short end of the uh, end of the straw yeah. that week. He's like, yeah. Right, yeah, listen, Armor, I need you to take this kid. Don't let him wander in the ocean. Just you know, bring, yeah, pretty, just pretty bring, much, yeah. Bring him back in four and a half hours. Okay, his mom's waiting for him. Exactly, so. exactly. Oh man. Um, you, uh, you go play your collegiate golf at Auburn. We've talked about that. And I'm guessing with COVID that it f- must feel that your college experience just absolutely raced by what, uh, what are you going to miss the most about college golf? I've talked a lot of people about this and it's, it's the small stuff that you're going to miss most. It's like not even the golf related aspect of it. It's the whole fact that you get to travel with the team every week. You're, you're always eating dinner with the team. You're, you're always with the team bonding. It's almost like a small frat. You know what I mean? It's like you're always with them no matter what. It's those those small experiences that I think you're going to miss most in the end. Yeah. Um, I was, I wanted to ask you another thing about amateur golf because a lot of people that listen to the podcast, either they're, they're juniors or they're amateurs playing in college. And, you know, unfortunately now you, you know, you'll understand exactly where I'm going with this uh, with, with world amateur golf rankings. That's something that you know every elite amateur has to kind of keep an eye on. And unfortunately I think the County and the state events really uh, get hurt by it because if you're trying to, to boost your ranking in, in Wagger, you know, you really need to play as many elite tournaments and you kind of get penalized by playing County and state stuff. Now you, you obviously played Palm Beach County events and, um, I think you played the County M in 2020. I know that you won a, a state match play at FSGA, but it's like a balancing act. Even I talked to Michael Theorbornson. He played the Mass Am and, and won it, but he knew that it probably wasn't very helpful for, for his wagger. Um, you know, how did you look at that when you were an, an amateur? Were you concerned about that or were you more focused on, look, if I want to play, I'm going to go play? I mean, how, how did you look at it and maybe what advice do you have for? for guys that are coming up that are, I guess, trying to navigate the labyrinth of, of a ranking. Yeah, it was, so you, you got, you got different timelines from that aspect of it. So you're, you're playing junior golf. And then once you start playing well in those big invitationals and stuff, then you get the wagger, but then still then in junior golf, the main ranking is like the polo, the golf week, the junior golf scoreboard. Those are the main rankings. I mean, you're in junior golf. You're not worried about the wagger at all. Yeah. Or for the mo- that's how I was. I thought and that's how most people when I played with engineer golf were. So then you get to college, and now you start focusing on Wagger more often. But you still also have the individual, you know, like the golf stat, golf week, individual rankings in college. 
So it was always tough because you're, I think when I played that Florida match play tournament, we were doing the math after, and I had to get second to just to stay where I was. Yeah, yeah. And I, th- I think they get a bad rap from that is because – but it's like you can go play a really high-ranked event and not play well and kind of stay where you are, or you can play a super small event and go play really well and win the thing and really not move too much either. Yeah, and 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 also a lot of the players, obviously, at these these. I mean, gosh, you know what? You remember what it's like, Palm Beach County. We just talked about it. Palm Beach County and FSGA stuff. I mean, they're they're stone cold till, killers there. I mean, you, yeah, they got some phenomenal players down here. Yeah, so it's like, yeah, I don't know. That that's a that's a that's a conversation for a different day with someone that that understands and better than I do the whole Wagger situation and what how to change it moving forward because I I think the people that get hurt are the state golf associations and. Um, yeah, because I, I kind of embraced it because it's when you when you think about it from when when you're in college, you're already in college. Wagger doesn't matter. I mean, obviously, it helps to get into other tournaments. Yeah. But realistically, it only helps if you're top 50 because then you go straight into USAM. Right. And then usually if you're top 10, 15, maybe 20, you'll get a couple of exemptions out of college. So besides that, it doesn't really matter. So my, my thought was, I'd rather go play more, even if it's local. Just go out there and compete. You know, that's all we play golf. You, whether it's a small event or a small event or a big event, all you want to do is have a chance to win going into the back nine. So just having having the chance to do that and being used to and comfortable in that position, I thought was way more important in the long run than any wagger points. I thought. I wish more people had that mindset because I know that there's a lot of players that do not play in tournaments because it would adversely affect their wagger where in the grand scheme of things, you should play as much as you can or as much as your schedule can dictate and how it will help your game. Because at the end of the day, um, you know, you should be judged on what you're doing on the golf course. I don't care who you're playing with. You still got to get the ball in the hole. Exactly. Absolutely. And I, yeah, I agree with you. I think that's a, that's an issue we have today. And I think that's a that's what a lot of people have the mindset of is, oh, I don't want to play in that because my it might hurt my ranking. Yep. So it's like, okay, well, the ranking only gets you so far. You still got to go compete. So I felt in the long, like short term, yeah, my ranking might take a hit. But in the long term, I'm competing more. I'm getting myself more comfortable in those bigger situations. So when I go into the bigger tournaments, I feel more comfortable being in contention so that I could play well there and get more points in that sense. Yeah. Well, you're leading me into really one thing I wanted to ask you about, which I think will definitely help, uh, you know, listeners that are have to, you know, deal with qualifiers. Qualifiers are just, I don't care what it's for, whether it's 18 holes, 36. I mean, hell, you just got through Corn Ferry Tour qualifying, which is multiple weeks, multiple rounds. But, you know, you played the U.S. Open this year. You get through the 36-hole sectional at the Bears Club, which is a incredibly difficult golf course. Forget mm-hmm. about who else is in the field. But, oh, yeah, um, there's 36 hole qualifiers all over the country on that Monday. This one has guys like Lucas Glover, who's a former U.S. Open champion, Luke Donald, who's a former number one ranked player in the world, and, oh, yeah, a bunch of other professionals and amateurs that everyone has heard of. 36 hole qualifiers, knowing what's at stake, what is a mindset that you've adopted to get? not just get through them, but to compete at the best level possible so you can succeed. Cause that I'm guessing 36 hole qualifiers have to be probably one of the most unique and most difficult things in the game of golf. Yeah. And, and so coming out of school, I mean the U S the U S open qualifier is always awesome because there's, there's so many applicants and so few spots. It's really tough because you try to be like, okay, yeah, I'm going to make it. I can make this easily and have that kind of not arrogant, but, confident in yourself and making it yeah but there's also like the kick in reality like okay there's what 12 or fourteen thousand people and i think they're taking like 30 spots total so that's like kind of the kick of reality so you you just kind of go kind of go out there and just embrace it. i mean the 36 whole days i think are so much fun you get one i got one of my buddies to caddy for me so i mean you're just you're just out there really enjoying it having a chance it's it's like i said like if you go into the final round of a tournament with a chance to with a chance to win then it's a successful week because you get the, the juices flowing right. and you get the blood flowing and you pretty much just start the day like that. So I, I always think it's a blast whether you play well or not. It's just, it's just fun because you get, as I said, you get the juices flowing, you get a little nerves for the whole day instead of just for a few holes. 
and then I've also realized I've heard from other people and I've kind of I've, I've learned this over the years too is that it, it never takes as low as you think interesting so, so I kind of go into those saying okay well if I can just I'm not I'm not thinking in my head don't screw up but I'm thinking okay I can just play consistent hit the fairways hit the greens give myself consistent chances that if I just do that the whole day the odds are I'm gonna make enough putts that I'm gonna make it so you shoot, you basically shoot two rounds of 70. I mean, exactly what you just said, consistent, steady golf. I mean, two rounds of 70. Do you remember what, at, at the break, you know, after the first 70, do you remember any, did, you know, did you basically feel like, all right, let's just go do that again? Yeah, I think we looked, I think I was like on the number after the first round. So we're like, okay, let's go shoot 70 or 69 yeah. and, and we'll get in. So you're trying to think in your head what it's going to take. And as a golfer, you always think, that it's going to be lower than it is. Right. Just so that you're, you're no, okay. If I can get, if, you, if it's realistically, it's at four, you're thinking, okay, I need at least five or six to make it. So that way, if you get there, you're, you're pretty secure. Uh, I, I definitely saw, um, you know, there was a nice clip uh, about you getting through at the bears club after your, your two rounds and you get through without a playoff, which is very, which is, <laughs> I'm sure you know what playoffs are like. So uh, that's really nice to not have to deal with that. But I did see a rather uh, a, a good amount of exuberance from your caddy, who I guess now is is kind of was on your bag at Corn Ferry Tour. So you sound like you were very level uh, headed throughout this whole process. Talk to him about your caddy and how he was that day. He does. He's he's very outgoing to say the least. So, so but I th- and I'm really quiet on the golf course. So okay. I think I kind of calm him down. He, he kind of gets me out a little bit. Okay. So we, we work really well together. So he, he always knows where I need to be. Like he keeps, he's keeps a, keeps an eye on the scores and we, we do well together. So he was, he, once we made that, he was, we were both just so happy because it was tough. So we, we were playing really, really well the second day. And then with like three or four holes to go, I think I made like a six or seven. So that took a big beating because you're like, okay, I'm around the number. And then I make like a double or I think it was a double. So then we're thinking, oh boy, now we got three holes left. We got to grind. So right. I, I get a good up and down on the next, make a birdie on the par five, hole eight, because we started on 10 the second day, and then make like a four or five footer for, for par on nine. Going into going into that, I thought I had to make that to probably force a playoff. Either, I thought I was either going to force a playoff, I, force a playoff or maybe miss it by one or make it by one. So it was a big putt in my, in my eyes and my mind. So I make that, and I'm calm, like, okay, sweet, I made that. Now let's let's see where that gets us. Let's see if we have to go do a playoff or whatnot. And I look at him. I said, how's it looking? Are we in? He's like, we're in. I'm like, for real? Like, that's in? He's like, no, you're in by, like, three. So, like, once when he right when he said that, we're like, okay, this is real, and we're going to the U.S. Open. So it was, it was such a, such an amazing feeling to know to know that you really you you did all the hard work you're there the whole day i think it was was even raining for a little bit and to to get it done was just the best feeling ever yeah and i'm looking at your scores on both of those rounds and it's crazy because they're they're both 70s and they're both full of you got a you got a double in there you got some bogeys you got a bunch of birdies i mean it just had to have been a really interesting day of just you know let's get a couple here then we lose a couple there then we're back and forth so yeah that had to have been incredibly taxing yeah, oh, it wasn't. And Bears Club, they had the course burn out. It uh-huh. was phenomenal. It was so quick and firm. They, they, the Supers over there did a phenomenal job. They made, they really made it pretty much as tough as they could too. So it was. But the Bears Club is such a high-end golf course. It's just an honor to be out there, let alone having the chance to qualify for U.S. Open. So whenever you're a Bears Club, you're just thankful to be out there. Yeah. So you're kind of just embracing it, saying, "Okay, this is pretty sweet. We get to play Bears Club for a couple of days." Yeah. Yeah. And. It's- the U.S. Open kind of just came with it. Yeah. Oh, I get to go. To, I get to go to Tory. Sweet. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. They don't give any pro shop credits for winning stuffing like that. No, that's not a. That's. Uh, not a, I guess not. No, okay. All right. Well, you know, some tournaments are. You know. You know, some have it, some don't. So you take your <laughs> you take your caddy to Corn Ferry Tour Q School, as you said. You know, you go play the U.S. Open. Did you? Oh, by the way, did you draw on any experiences from Puerto Rico when you were at the U.S. Open? I'm sure that had to cross your mind at some point. Yeah, it, it did. Um, it kind of helped to know to be more comfortable in the situation. Saying, yeah. "Okay, I've I've been here before." I think when you get, when you're you're an up and coming kid and you get that first 
spot or your first exemption on the tour, you're kind of in all the whole week. So I guess it was kind of good to get, kind of get the, the first week jitters, I would say, out in Puerto Rico. So I was I was really super I was super comfortable out of touring, which was the main thing I noticed. Yeah, yeah, that that had to have been fun, and I'm sure you're going to have other other experiences like that. I'm not going to run you through the entire uh, you know three stages you did at Corn Ferry Tour, but I I wanted to, I found it interesting. Um, at least I wanted to ask you about just the first and the third. Uh, well, I guess it's the final stage, but the first stage you do incredibly well at breakers west now personal information i hate that golf course i can't do anything right at that golf course my buddy <laughs> my buddy has a summer membership there um uh dan eggertson listens to this podcast all the time and you may oh yeah dan's the man i know dan pretty well see there you go um he wants me to get out there all the time to play golf with him i've done it like once or twice i can't I, you know i can barely get out of the parking lot and find the first tee, it's that bad. So that being said, let's just you know move my embarrassment to someplace else right now and just say, how do you play well or get through on a golf course that doesn't fit your eye or that you don't like? Now, obviously, that's not the case with Breakers West for you, but you're going to be playing, you have been playing, but you will be all over the country next year, different spots, different climates, different grasses, elevate. I mean, you're going to be playing a lot of different golf courses next year. So that being said, how do you play well at a course that maybe when you show up in that practice, room, you're like, man, this just, this isn't my joint. Yeah. So I think me and my coach, Jeff Leishman have, have worked really hard on that and on getting your stock shots and stock, what, whatever, any, anything that stocks that can translate easily. So we work a lot with TrackMan, so we have my stock numbers. We know exactly how far the ball is going to go in certain environments. So that way, if I go to elevation or it gets colder, I know, okay, well, the elevation is going to go an extra 8%. So now it's just simple math. A 150 shot's now going, was it 165 or something like that? So that stuff's easily translatable. So then you, you get there and you work on chipping. Okay, we work on landing spots on chipping. So we know, okay, a, my stock pitch shot's going to roll out x amount of yards so a stock pitch that usually goes six now this course the greens are firmer so this and now it's rolling out nine or ten yards so it's getting those first day the first day or two just to really embrace that and embrace the conditions i don't do a whole lot of okay well i think the pin might be here let me hit a bunch of putts here or i think it might be over here i'm gonna hit some chips over here i kind of just i feel like i do a good a good job of just embracing the conditions and embracing the course as a whole because, I mean, there's there's so many pin placements and, and tees they can put and use. You're never going to get it right. So I think the more you just embrace the course itself and how the ball's rolling out and how the greens are rolling or spinning, I think the better the better you'll play in the long run. So it sounds, so also it kind of sounds to me you're taking your stock numbers, your stock, you know, game and just trying to see how it's going to react to the environment as opposed to showing up and looking at the course and saying, okay, how, you know, how does this fit my eye? You're trying to almost keep blinders on, so to speak. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. Okay. All right. Interesting. Well, I, I wanted to, as soon as I saw that it was Breakers West, I'm like, oh, I know exactly how I want well, to. Well, it also helps when you, you've been a member of Breakers West for the past six you years. No, I know that. I know you can, <laughs> I know you can beat the hell out of that place, but I'm like, I, that place, well, you know what else? And, and I, I feel this is, episode is really becoming South Florida centric, but, um, I would rather just give you money and say nice playing than to actually go play with you at Mayaku. <laughs> I I mean I'd rather just say you know good game three and two good match what do I owe you front back total just let's just yeah do yeah just rather just do that <laughs> instead of me getting the car because that place just like breakers I want nothing to do with that place. Yeah, Mayaku is pretty tight too. Anytime there's like a state am state mid qualifier and I look at the list and I'd be like. Okay, Maiku, nope, and just cross that out and just start no looking. Thanks. Yeah, no thanks. Yeah, nothing to do with that place. Um, I think a lot of people know that that the finals of, of the Corn Ferry Tour uh, was uh, adversely affected by weather. In fact, I can't remember a time when they actually had a complete washout of a day just because of what weather was coming. I don't even think they tried to do anything. What was that, a Saturday I think they canceled? Is that right? Yeah, the Saturday they moved back. Okay, I don't think I've ever seen or heard of that. Um, how do you even comprehend that or deal with that when, you know, when most people think of the Corn Ferry Tour 
and they see it on the Golf Channel, and they see these guys just shooting incredibly low numbers, just dropping 63, 64s. Everyone's able to do that. And then you get to the one time of the year where you're fighting for a job and you're dealt a hand that is, what, it's it's 50 degrees, it's blowing 20, and just like the weather is so bad. How do you handle that? Because that just seems like such a punch in the gut. You, you grind all year long to get here, and now, like, it's an open championship like who signed up for that crap yeah well that's that's what i love about it is that the weather like that affects so many people mentally that if it's a 150 person field if the if the conditions are bad that pretty much knocks out half of them automatically so you want bad conditions yeah i remember i woke up we, we so we played friday i think we finished the round it was i think weather channel said the feel like temperature was like 37 or 38 and it was pouring rain so it was almost almost snowing at that point and we get out the next day and we're, I was like excited to go out there on Saturday. I'm like, yeah, it's going to be super cold. It's going to be raining all day. And I just came off a good round. Like once it started raining, I think I was like four or five under my back. Now. So I was like super excited because those are the conditions where you can move up so much. You go, you go post it even or one under and you're moving way down the leaderboard. So I love those rounds. So we woke up. I was, I was like really kind of upset, not ups, like mad, but like, I was yeah. I mean, I, in a way, I was kind of upset we weren't playing because I was I was. You saw so an opportunity. Excited. You I was, saw the opportunity. Yeah, exactly. Where most people were probably super happy, like, "Oh, thank God, we don't have to go play in that today." I was upset because I was like, "Well, I was looking forward to going out there and and having a better mindset and and enjoying and 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 embracing the environment than everyone else." Um, but again, it's golf, so you always have to adapt. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of crazy when I look at the scores. You shoot a final round 66. You finish T2 at, at, at finals, and your 66, just to show you how much the weather changed, your 66 only moved you up one spot. So yeah. in, in ideal weather, everyone was shooting such low scores. Um, that 66, you know, it's almost like you were treading water by shooting six under, which is just insane. Yeah, I yeah. don't oh, know. But um, but then there's guys, uh, uh, Russ and Muller from Germany shot 63 in the final day and moved up 56 spots, which is insane. Yeah, well, I think so. This I didn't play well the first round. I was like 106th or 108th, and then I shot – I forgot what I shot the second round. 67. Like three, yeah, three or four under. And I moved from like 106 to 22. <laughs> oh, my God. Just because the conditions were that bad. I, yeah. shot, I shot 60, 66, 67, and you move up 80-odd spots. So you're like, I'm like, okay, I, I didn't play great today, but I played decent in those conditions, and you move up a bunch. Let's go do that again tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, and that's that third round is really what, what sealed it for you. You shoot 63 yeah. in the third round, and that – Yeah, that helps a lot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, listen, you're, telling, you're talking to someone that shot 64 one time on a muni course. I know all about that. I mean, come on. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. But uh, all right, so you're all set. You're moving to the Corn Ferry Tour for next year. Um, I also just wanted to talk really briefly about your caddy. No, I know we hit upon that at the U.S. Uh, um, you know, at the U.S. Open qualifier, and now he's going to be with you in the Corn Ferry Tour. You know, a lot of things that you know we talk about the players and and them trying to get a job, them competing, them really putting everything in their life on the line. We don't talk a lot about the caddies. The caddies are doing the exact same thing. And most of the time it's for players that, again, are, are trying to find status, whether they've been, been at it for a while or they're rookies like yourself. I mean, what can you say about your caddy? Let's give him some pub just for saying, hey, I'm going to go take this journey with you. And he's not hitting any of the shots. Yeah, so he, I got a funny story about the whole rain delay thing. We do, so, sto we do stories here, so that's perfect. Yeah, so you'll like this one. So he's still in school. He plays Division I golf at Iona College. Okay. So he's getting his master's right now. So, but, so he is a class. So I, I convinced him to skip class all week, come down and caddy for me. <laughs> and he's like, okay, I can do it. I just have to fly back. I have to fly out Sunday night after the tournament because Monday I have an in-person final presentation for the class. And if I miss it, I fail. Oh no. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, okay, that's, that's fine. Like it's, it's the corn freight tour. Like no matter what the, like the conditions will be fine. They'll get it in. Like that's not gonna be an issue. They're the, they're the U.S. mail through rain or shine. Don't worry, it's gonna happen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like they're not gonna sit us out. No. So we get we get the text Saturday morning, and <laughs> we're like, 
oh my god like we saw the weather coming in but i'm like oh it's it's the corn yeah, free tour like we'll, we'll, we'll play in it or we'll play 36 sunday like we're not the only ones with flight out sunday like everyone else has to get out here sunday night so we get that text i'm like holy crap like what are we gonna do i'm like there's no way you can stay he's like no i can't like the syllabus literally says like if you miss it you fail so we're like, oh boy. So we're spending pretty much all day Saturday like, okay, who am I going to get? I got to get someone. I got a bunch of friends around here. Someone has to be able to come up for Monday. <clears throat> so one of my other buddies goes to Florida State, which from Savannah is only like four or five hours. Yeah. So he's like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, I'll be there no problem. I'll come over there tomorrow on Sunday. I'll watch you a little bit. I'll stay Sunday night. We'll catch you for you Monday. We'll get it done. No problem. So, like, okay, thank God. Like, I think I ended up – we didn't get a response from him until, like, 3 or 4 in the afternoon. Oh. I ended up putting something on my Instagram story for, like, 30 minutes or something like that. Like, can anyone come to Savannah <laughs> for final stage of Corn Freak Q School? Anyone. <laughs> so, he ends up reaching out. He's like, yeah, I'll be there. So, he comes over. or So, we, so we go out Sunday, and I shoot 63. And I look at Justin. I said, okay, like, we got to get you to the airport. He's like, well, hell no i'm not leaving now wait a minute wait a minute so okay he's, he's like so if you would have shot like one under i probably would have left but you just shot 63 i gotta stay now so he ended up calling our other buddy because he's we're all mutual friends the guy coming and everything right. else so he calls him he's like hey by the way like i know you're almost here four hours into your drive but like i'm catting tomorrow so lucky enough, like our our friend group is super supportive. He's like, "No man, of course, like I would want you to stay. Like yeah. you, you got to do this. Like I'm gonna come watch. I want to come watch. I want to support you guys in any way I can, which I'm super thankful for for all my friends like that." See, so we okay, okay. so we ended up changing his flight. I spent like an hour at dinner changing his flight to Monday, and then he he calls his teacher Monday night or Sunday night at like eight o'clock. He's like, "Yeah, by the way, like I'm not gonna be able to be there tomorrow." <laughs> So, okay. so the teacher's on the phone, like trying to fail him over the phone. <laughs> and he he told her, which he he didn't lie. He said it was a job interview, which it is. Okay. And the job interview was in Savannah, Georgia, and it got pushed back to Monday. That's that's which, these, which is, these are which, factual which, statements. These are factual. They are. I'm with you. I love it. I love this story. This is great. So, so he ends up staying, and he flies back Monday night, and. The whole like last the week after we're like holy crap like I think he ended up finding out like three days ago like is this teacher gonna fail him or not like this is a big deal because he's getting his master's he's yeah. gonna be done in six months like this is a big deal or <laughs> something so I was lucky enough for him to him to care about it enough to stay in that situation thank God but oh uh, but he ended up he ended up passing which is all that matters that's that's see now would have been a would have been a really a better wrinkle to this story is if you would have said that your backup caddy from florida state then went to iona and did the presentation for your caddy oh that would have been a good one if if everyone was tight and buddies that's that's what you would have yeah fly from fsu to go to iona real quick say your name's justin and and do your presentation that would have been (laughs) that would have been the better end of the story not that That would have been the best not that i don't love this that's okay so now now justin is is the is the uh is is your uh, caddy with the going for the masters right yeah so his name is justin burkhammer plays division one golf at iona college okay so he's he'll be getting his masters i think he graduates in may so now have you told him that not a lot of tour caddies need to have master's degrees or i mean i told him that he's he's so close he's he's got to take a little time to off the bag to go do school but he's a he's a phenomenal golfer so um, you know, he, he's not someone full-time that would be able to do this. I don't think, uh, you know, he, he wants to get his master's. Of course, he's got another semester with, with a team and he wants to go do what I'm doing, you know, go chase pro golf and, and go, go make it out on tour. So yeah, I got a, I got a good buddy of mine who I grew up a bunch with ever since I was super young, Sam Thomas, who is, uh, down in West Palm too. He's going to be on the bag for the next season and we're really, we're really looking forward to it. That's going to be a hell of an adventure. I will get you out of here on this one. I, I love that story. That's so good. Um, you know, you, you just kind of missed out on the launch of NIL into the collegiate sports landscape. You know, I'm not sure. Obviously, you're, you're talking and friends with a lot of amateurs, and you got a lot of friends that are at Auburn still, you know, playing. And, um, you know, Amber Golf, just a, just a massive network. And But, you know, you moved on to the pro ranks. You, you 
you know, made your last stars in amateur at, at the U S open. That's a great place to end your, your amateur career. Um, you know, you have goals you're trying to accomplish. Obviously you want to get through corn Ferry tour and, and get yourself to the PGA tour. But a lot of these kids that I run into, you know, they're talking about, you know, uh, you know, social media presence and, you know, getting a, some sort of an endorsement deal and, and all that stuff. Is that something that you're now embracing as a professional? I mean, are, are you thinking about the, the business side of Andrew Cozan incorporated, or are you still kind of focusing just on golf? I'm just curious what maybe your thoughts are on that. And maybe how that, you know, can translate to someone on the amateur side that's thinking of, okay, I got to play golf, but now I also have to be a brand, you know, are, are, there, are those things registering with you? Yeah, I think it's it's really hit me the last month or two because the, you know, like the environment we're, we're playing and working in today is just totally different than it was a couple of years ago. Yeah. Social media just plays such a big role in it. Um, so it's, it's something I've been, it's definitely been th- thought about a bunch, on my mind a bunch been talking to people people in my corner about what I need to be doing but in the end it, we kind of just we came to the decision that all focus needs to be on golf you know if you go out to the golf course for a couple hours you don't need to spend half an hour an hour of it just filming stuff for your social media page because right. what what good is a social media page if you're not playing any good to get status there you go so i think i think my my agent always said uh, it's it's like putting the cart before the horse Yep. Which I I love the saying he told me that and it, it made a lot of sense. You know, just if you try and do the social media and push that, then there's no there's no telling what your golf game's gonna do. But if you focus solely on your golf game and, and playing the best you can and competing and trying to win, then the social media stuff's just gonna come along with it. It's a great point, something that I know a lot of people will take away from. Um I completely forgot that uh, I will give you the last word on this. You know, a former guest of the podcast who actually reached out today uh, just to say hello. Uh, I'm sure you know Mr. Grayson Huff very well, a, a former teammate of yours at Auburn. Absolutely. Former guest, awesome guy, uh, shared a a lovely steak and lobster tail dinner with him at the Jones Cup, which is just another great story for another time. But actually, I think that's, that's still in his episode. But, um, you know, he's not here to defend himself, and you could tell any story you want to about Grayson Huff to end this end this episode. The floor is yours, sir. Oh boy! Wow. Oh gosh, I got to be thinking about this. I think the funny ones are the way he would practice. It would be he would just really embrace like the worst conditions to practice on. I mean, it'd be it'd be so cold, and I mean, it'd be like monsooning the whole day. And he would just put on his rain gear and just go putt for like three hours. <laughs> <laughs> and we're all sitting there like, like what, what could he possibly be accomplishing right now? Like he's going to just always get into a cold, like, you know, the ball's just got water on it. So it's not coming off consistently. <laughs> they would have, sus- they would have suspended play in the conditions that he's grinding Yeah, like on. He, he's like putting through puddles <laughs> just on the bottom of the range for hours. Yeah. That's a good one. I mean, there's there's too many Grayson stories. I don't want to get myself in trouble. <laughs> well, he uh, he he's a beauty, and I know that he's uh, he's going to be kicking around that Latin America tour next year. And uh, absolutely, man, can you imagine? I mean, obviously, you want to be on your tour and you want to get to the next one above that. But can you imagine what it must be like to travel with Grayson Huff for a month through Latin America playing golf? <laughs> I can't imagine, man. Uh, I mean, uh, I almost, I mean, I, I may want to just take a little road trip and just see. I mean, th- you want to talk about social media content. I mean, that's that's a gold mine right there, isn't it? Oh, it is. Yeah, you just got to stick a GoPro on his head or something like that. <laughs> see see what see what crazy footage you come along with. I, I think I might need to bring him back on the podcast next year just to get some stories from him in Latin America because uh, I think, I think, I think, like I said, I think there's a gold mine there. Yeah, and it was so. Another one is he was older, so he was a six year this year, but he always looked older too. So I remember. Oh, he's thirty eight years old. I've asked. Yeah, oh, he, yeah. yeah he, we we we've been calling him Grandpa the last couple of years. Love it. But but we were in Hawaii two years ago, so it would have been his fifth year. And so it's the it's the team and it's the head coach and the assistant coach, and we're all at dinner. And this lady goes up to us and says she sees all the Auburn guff stuff and goes, well are you guys from Auburn? And we're like, yeah, we're like, we're the golf team at Auburn. And she's like, oh, sweet. So you must be the coach and points to Grayson. Yes. 
<laughs> so we're all dying, man. We were laughing so hard, and that that's a big story that, that definitely stuck. That's fantastic, yeah. Oh, I, I, I knew exactly where you were going with that, that when you started talking. I'm like, so they put the check down or something like that. Like, here you go, yep. sir. Take care of your kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Love it. Love it. Andrew, great stuff. Uh, I'm, you know, well worth the wait. I, I you know, again, we, we could have done it when you're an amateur, but I think it's just much better. More stories now. More, More stories. stories now. More stories. This is perfect. So, uh, well, again, congrats on all your success this year. Uh, you know, great transition to the pro ranks. Looks like you got a great 2022 ahead of you. So um, enjoy the holidays. Enjoy the break. Take a day off. You can do that, and uh, and we'll uh, we'll we'll see you uh, we'll see you again uh, down the line at the back of the range. I appreciate you stopping by. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. And there you have it. Special thanks to Andrew Kozan for joining me on this episode here at the back of the range. Don't forget follow along on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Every single episode is available at thebackoftherange.com. We'll see you next time here at the back of the range.